Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Deputy Companies Editor, Ian Smith. How are you, Ian? Fine, John. How are you doing? Not too bad. And uh, Alex Newman. How are you doing, Alex? One of our companies team. How are you good. doing? Yeah, well done. Good, good. Over in the uh, control room, we've got Graham Davis, our Digital Supremo. How are you, Graham? Hello, John. Very well. Thank you. Good, good. And Dominic Toms. How are you, Dom? Back from doing Yorkshire. Very well, thank you. How was the North? It was great. Yeah, your silence is golden. <laughs> um, okay, so anyway, uh, we've got a packed magazine this week. And it doesn't even reflect everything that's been going on out there. Because last night we had the uh, Merchant House speeches, a double header with uh, George Osborne and Mark Carney, Bank of England Governor, all over the papers today. So we'll probably talk a bit about that because there's lots going on with the banks this week. Is there not, Ian? There sure is. And we've also uh, got Alex in to talk about the cover feature this week, which is uh, about energy efficiency. So we're, we're all using less power and this is big business. It is, yeah, yeah. It's a bit paradoxical to think that using less energy is, uh, is, is big business, but it turns out to be the case. It sounds like a good thing to me. So uh, let's come back to that in a minute. Ian, let's come back to you. Let's talk Let's talk banks. So Imagine House last night, George Osborne, I guess the exciting news was uh, the news that we can expect the government to sell off its RBS stake soon. Yeah, that was the big headline coming out of that. And obviously the government accepting that it would be selling off, at least initially, its stake, or the taxpayer's stake, at a loss. Um, but the government's line is that if you take into account all the different kind of bank stakes, that the taxpayer will come out at a profit. So that's how they're spinning it anyway. Because it's made um, a profit. Has it made a profit on Lloyd's? Uh, yeah, it's in, it's in the process of making a profit. It also has reduced its Lloyd's stake to below 18% now. So that kind of more um, successful sell-off continues. So the government will mix it all together and say the taxpayer's done well. They also believe that starting the sell-off, they've been advised by Rothschild, um, will start to improve the picture with this massive 80% stake from the government. Obviously, um, distorts it in the market. There's a lot of uncertainty around how that orderly that sell-off will be. So they think starting the sell-off in an orderly way mm. will perhaps start to push up the price. Obviously, we did have the price go up today following the announcement. What did it rise about three or four percent? Was it something? Yeah, quite yeah. substantial. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a decent rise mm. among the banks. I mean, it's it's interesting. So, so we often, yeah, in in the stock markets world, talk about overhangs. So, I guess you could argue the government's eighty percent stake is a, is a pretty chunky stock overhang, which suppresses the price. And I guess they're they're not going to sell it all off at once. So, if they sell off some, the price starts to rise. Maybe at some point, they can actually sell it off at a break-even level. I guess that's the thinking that behind the Rothschilds' advice. Yeah, exactly right. And we have a reasonably benign condition for banking at the moment. Uh, you know, benign credit environment. Um, the banks are getting their kind of capital um, strength under control. Um, RBS is going through this big restructure. Um, so if we start to see the fruits of that work, and we have the government kind of exiting its stake in an orderly way, we could have a recovery in the RBS share price, which obviously will then benefit the taxpayer. So I think that's what they're gambling on. Okay, interesting news. The bigger news as well in the banking sector, I mean, that's quite big news, but the bigger news, bigger? Maybe bigger, maybe not, depending on way, whichever way you look at it. It was HSBC, which was obviously the uh, subject of this week's news spotlight, which you wrote about there going to be cutting quite a few jobs by the looks of things. They are. They are. And just to link the two, the thing that wasn't in the Mansion House speech, which people, some people were expecting, was a change in the banking levy to restrict it to just to banks' UK operations. And that mm-hmm. would have benefited HSBC. It also would have massively benefited Standard Chartered uh, as well. But HSBC 
didn't get a, a benefit from that. It also didn't see a benefit from its big strategy update, which it kind of put out this mass communication effort all about the restructuring of HSBC, how they're going to reduce their risk-weighted assets, how they're going to boost their look to Asia for growth, how they're going to take away their Brazil and Turkish operations, and so, as you say, lose as many as 50,000 jobs. But the market didn't really like it, and shares dropped on the day of the announcement, partly perhaps because we already knew a lot of those things were going to happen at HSBC. A lot of it had been trailed in the media, especially um, the Brazil and Turkey news um, and the kind of stressing the Asia growth. But there was a lot of information for investors to digest there and they weren't bowled over, it's fair to say. And when is HSBC, is it in trouble? I think it's less that it's in trouble and more that it's, it's very flabby. There's a lot of fat that needs to be cut. The Asia growth story, obviously, is well accepted. The growth of the middle class companies, such as like Prudential, have done really well there. But at the moment, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of strategy and it's a lot of projection around how they can rebuild their U.S. and Mexico business, or not rebuild, but kind of reinvigorate it, and how they can build in Asia. And they say that Hong Kong and the, and the um, the surrounding area could be the biggest banking city cluster um, by twenty twenty five. So yeah, you have to buy into that Asia growth story, and if you do. And if you think that there'll be this reduction in the risk-weighted assets going to improve uh, the profitability, then fine. But HSBC has obviously had a tough time, and I talk about this in the piece, in terms of the, the regulatory censor, censor that it's had, um, the kind of the legal fines and the capital raising, uh, the c- kind of improvement to its capital base that it's had to undergo. Mm. That's been a big hit on its return on equity. So it's so whether you think that the bank can rebuild that return on equity um, in the near future. Mm. I, th- I saw a great headline in uh, in the FT on the Lex column. I think it was. It said, "You know, it's all very well losing the fat, but you've got to put on the muscle to replace it." So I guess that's that's the analogy that you're referring to. Yeah, it's, it's a good one, I think. Yeah, no, exactly right. I thought the job numbers were twenty five thousand fifty. That's uh, double what I'd actually imagined. I, I think that's if you factor in because that was that was unclear in the news reports actually straight away. Some people led with twenty five thousand. Some people led with fifty thousand. I think it's if you factor in the Brazil and Turkey operations right. being wound down. Okay, so do we know where these job cuts are going to be happening? Which parts of the business, which regions they're going to be happening well, in? Well, know, we know they're going to be reducing their investment banking operations. Um, and we know that they're reducing the amount of branches across their territory. So yeah, I think probably a combination of those two um, are going to be a large amount of the job cuts. And how, how much of that is going to come in the UK? Uh, I think, I, I haven't got the figure off the top of my head. Um, a lot. I, th- yeah, I, th- I, I think, think I read a figure something like 8,000 8, jobs yeah, in the UK. Yeah, I think it's 7,000, 8,000. And... Am I right in remembering that uh, they talked about the HSBC brand could potentially disappear from the UK altogether? Yeah, I mean, so they've got this new part of it, which is a more newsworthy side, is this um, the retail bank, which is going to be headquartered in Birmingham. Um, they're talking about a change, uh, changing the brand. It could go back to the old Midland Bank brand, mm-hmm. or they could use something like the First Direct brand. Um, so we're not yet to see wh- what they'll choose, but yeah, that we'll have a yet another retail bank with a new title um, in the UK. Okay, but they're not retrenching from the UK altogether. It's more a rebranding exercise. Currently, but obviously we've got the decision expected by the end of the year about where the company's going to be domiciled. Um, so that will affect its kind of um, okay. its balance. I mean, just to go off a little bit of a tangent, actually, Daniel uh, Liberto, one of our companies team, wrote a piece this week on companies that have changed, are changing their names um, and, and asking whether this was a cosmetic thing or whether actually you know, it was something that was good for shareholders. So, uh, you know, given the, uh, the troubles the banking industry has gone through, I think uh, you know, rebranding is, is perhaps uh, pretty fundamental to restoring some of the trust that has perhaps been lost in the industry.
Yeah, if you look at how well Virgin Money are doing at the moment, they've got a, a strong brand not associated with banking and with some Northern Rock assets underneath, right? So it's you know the, the uh, a bank that's uh, a kind of brand that's not historically or long time historically associated with it. No, they're more associated strong. with things like the Sex Pistols, <laughs> launching credit bra- Sex Pistols branded credit cards. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Right. Punk is truly dead. Punk is truly dead. Okay. I mean, talking of trust, the, the other big gun to come out at the Mansion House speech was Mark Carney, obviously. And um, he, he's, his focus was really on restoring the credibility and, and the, uh, the trust uh, in, the, in the financial services industry. I mean, that was, just, I, I presume you, you followed this one as well. Mm. And it was, it was pretty powerful stuff there. Yeah, so he decided not to talk about monetary policy this year and went for perhaps Good. slightly yeah, <laughs> went for perhaps slightly safer topic of talking about yeah how can you rebuild public trust and a couple of ways of doing that one is to extend um, the the kind of punitive measures against people that uh, engage in market abuse so possible jail sentences but also to expand uh, the rules to move to a more of a rules based regulation of of, um, of the financial markets and to move beyond banks to look at asset managers and other kind of market actors um, and to extend the kind of market abuse uh, rules across to them too. So what the Bank of England is trying to say is that in future there will be more censor for people that undergo dodgy market practice. Wherever, wherever you are within the financial services spectrum. Exactly, wherever you are. Do you know what it sounds to me? It sounds expensive. Now, I wrote a couple of weeks back about, about the cost of regulation. I mean, it's, it's already ballooned in the past few years. Uh, and it, I mean, that just sounds like a recipe for, for even more cost. I mean, it's, there is a balance that needs to be struck, I would suggest. Especially when you hear that the FCA, is obviously maybe a slightly different subject, but they are quite keen that asset managers are not seen as systemically important and aren't um, pushed under a weight of regulation because obviously asset management is hugely important to the UK. So it's going to be interesting to see how far people think the regulators should kind of pull beyond the world of kind of investment banking into asset management and the other areas um, in terms of, you know, the level of rules-based regulation that's going to be laid upon them. Mm, and I guess you could sort of twist this a little bit further and you know, go back to HSBC. And you know, if, if the regulatory burden in the UK increases too much, then it could drive more of our financial service industry elsewhere. Yeah, and that's very much the debate that's happening at the moment. Okay, well, I guess that one's to play out over the, the years ahead. Um, I mean, let's stick with the, the, uh, the week's news. Um, uh, Sainsbury's had a, a pretty tough week. Sixth consecutive quarter of uh, falling like for like sales. Sounds you, pretty horrible. And yet their share price went up 4% on the day. Is that because they didn't fall quite as much as everyone expected? Yeah, I think so. I think the like-for-like um, sales decline was slightly uh, not as bad as the consensus forecast for it. Um, they've been hit, as everyone knows, by this pr- price deflation. Um, and there were some interesting figures actually brought out from the ONS this week where they compared their CPI inflation me- measure to um, a, an inflation measure based on basically scraping the prices of a load of goods off supermarket websites. And they've concluded that the CPI might well understate the kind of price inflation or it looks like to understate the price deflation that we have at the moment. And that's something that's especially hurting uh, Sainsbury's, as we mm. know, with the, with the march of the discounters, something we've covered quite Indeed, but you could argue that in some ways it's uh, you know self-inflicted and temporary. I mean, they, they're they're you know biting big chunks out of uh, of one another at the moment, competing on particular lines as well. They they, they tend to be uh, the focus of price wars, whether it's milk or bananas or whatever it might be. So it's something you wrote about in your column this week. Well, I did. Yeah, I mean, my, I I think there's a little bit more to it. Uh, you know, I, you know, let's let's sort of go uh, away from the kind of science of the market and and get get a bit more personal because you know, I, in my column, I'm I'm kind of thinking about the way we've we've started shopping. Um, 
you know, and uh, you look back at what's happened with the way we, we as a nation consume food, you know, in the 50s, austerity Britain proper, not, not what we've got today, you know, nothing got thrown away. And you certainly didn't have the, the choice on the supermarket, supermarket shelves. In fact, there were no supermarkets. So, you know, you, you, you were frugal and you, you ate what you bought. Come the 90s, get to the 90s, and, you know, these huge hypermarkets have popped up and, you know, with more food in them than you could possibly comprehend. And, you know, you go in with a big trolley, fill it up, and end up chucking most of it away. And, you know, I started looking into this and found that we, in 2007, we were throwing away over 8 million tonnes of food uh, that was, you know, avoidable food waste every year. And, and actually, that figure's been coming down. And that suggests to me that, you know, it's not just people hunting around going to discounts for better prices, but they're actually just not buying more than they need now. And I think that's a fundamental change that won't go away. Mm. That's my view. I'm not so sure. Mike Coop, uh, who incidentally has been cleared of the uh, the charges that were, were brought against him in Egypt today. Thank goodness. Free the Sainsbury's one. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he said, you know, actually baskets, uh, basket sizes, which is their measure of volume, are, are flat now rather than falling. So that would suggest that that's, that's bottomed. I'm not so sure. I think people are becoming a bit more frugal uh, in their shopping habits. I hate throwing stuff away. I don't know about you guys. I hate throwing stuff away, but I do do a weekly shop generally. So mm. I'm a bit more old fashioned like that. I get in my car. Old fashioned? You're in 90s. And I, <laughs> very old fashioned. I don't do any of this newfangled <laughs> online shopping. It's not Russian. Though. It's not quite Russian. No, but I mean, you know, you joke but you know we as a household we don't we don't ration ourselves obviously i mean that's that's you know an absurd comparison to make but we do shop to a budget and we do it online and you know we've got x amount to spend and that's what we spend sainsbury's are often sending us vouchers you know oh thank you for being our loyal customer here's a here's a voucher um for 20 pounds off or you know x percent off your next shop when you do it in store why do they want me to come in store because they know I walk around the hours and I'll be tempted by all the lovely stuff on offer. And I think, you know, the changing habits um, are here to stay. I think, it's, I think it's quite interesting. I think they're underestimating the power of um, this, this, idea, this idea that we should be more efficient in certainly many aspects of our lives, food shopping, also the way we use energy. And we'll come mm. on to that very shortly. In fact, let's go on to it now. Alex, let's talk about energy efficiency because, sure. you know, I'm, looking, I'm in the market for a new boiler at the moment because we've, we've just moved house, got this ridiculous thing that burns more gas than you could possibly imagine. I hate it. I want to, to, to burn less gas. I want to spend less money. And, and you know, this seems to be a, a one-way trend now. And that's what you've written mm. about for the cover feature this week. Yeah, well, I mean, without wanting to uh, hawk the products of one of the companies we cover I looked at them. You're talking about Flow Flow Group. Group, (laughs) Um, Very, very interesting uh, company that we've been been covering for a while. And and they're sort of, it's a a kind of 10 or 20 bagger stock Mm. that they're they're claiming once they they start to uh, sell their product later this year, that they're claiming they'll have complete capture of the the boiler market and they have a revolutionary product, which is, it generates its own electricity. So uh, effectively, once you've got installed, you will then see the impact on your on your energy bills um i i see i like the idea yeah i did look at it i don't believe off the bat that story right i'm pretty sure graham you might remember there was a company that was trying this a little while back wasn't there there's been a number john yeah which, number. what was the one the, uh, the sarah's power Sarah's was one power, that was a fuel cell right. based one that's but right. uh, F- uh, flow power have been around for a little while as well they had a different name which will come to me in a moment i'm sure oh well, so the same company had a different name Mm. oh god again what a coincidence something else we've written about this week anyway so no i love the idea you Mm. know and you know they 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 say oh you know it will pay for itself in 
a very short space of time. Five years, I think it mm. is. My worry is that it's new technology. I don't know how effective it really is. Uh, they've been developing it for 10 years, I think they say. See, I mean, it's not, I'm not dismissing it offhand, but I know that I bought before boilers from companies like Valent and Worcesterbosch, you know, big German companies that have been making these things for years that are ultra reliable, can get a seven-year guarantee on them, and they're pretty efficient. So I'm, I don't know. I like the story, but I'm a bit nervous about well, it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the adoption of new technology. It's always, yeah, it will always yeah. have a, a, you know, a difficult uh, run in the beginning until it, it gets critical mass. But I mean, this week we've looked at some of the companies, Flow Group included, that are, are emerging as the pioneers of, of energy efficient technology. Just to give a bit of context to what we mean by energy efficiency, we should sort of separate it from renewable energy, which is, is slightly separate, but it's part of the part of the same trend is that globally governments have committed themselves to reducing, particularly in the West, have, have committed themselves to reducing uh, energy consumption and reliance on on fossil fuels. Indeed, by... I, th- I think um, there was a, an even bigger commitment this week, wasn't there, from uh, from G seven to reduce or to eliminate fossil to, fuels. Yeah, eliminate from, uh... fossil fuels by the end of the century. Um, so that's the that's the trajectory. It's legally binding, and governments have to find ways of doing it. At the moment, if we're just transitioning to renewable energy, that's not going to be quite enough. So the other way you you cut your reliance on fossil fuels is to get more efficient at using energy yeah there are obvious uh, benefits to this as well to to both um, consumers small businesses and governments in that you also spend less on energy use and once the flow groups of this world have emerged and their, their technologies are proven this is reckoned to be an industry worth something like a trillion dollars a year and and already the investment in the in the industry is is colossal so we've identified a few companies and areas of of, of the business world where uh, this strategy is, is already being is already been identified and, and targeted. Mm, no, Flo, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really, really want this to succeed as a company yeah. because I love the idea. You know, I think uh, you know, boilers produce heat. You know, mm. and our, our boiler produces more heat than you can possibly imagine. It's ridiculous. Um, but you know, that heat is waste energy, and that that can actually be used to to create power or, or whatever whatever uh, needs to be created. Yeah. It's you know, I, I really want that to succeed. I really do. I think looking at your your feature, reading through it. The bigger focus is perhaps uh, the business-to-business uh, mm. world, where large corporations are interested in saving energy and on a grand scale. Yeah, we put a, a short bar in the in the piece about Tesco and that they've cut their uh, energy costs. I think in the last ten years by what amounts to two hundred eighty million pounds of of savings. Amazing. You think about a Tesco's estate is it's colossal. They spend a huge amount of energy on refrigeration, on lighting. And if you think about the programs they're capable of rolling out across all their stores and the savings that amounts to, that is significant. And it also represents big business to some of the these emergent consultancy businesses, which may work with the likes of Tesco. So we, we talk about one quite small company uh, listed on AIM called uh, APC Technology. There are others in the States. There's, there's Honeywell and Amoresco. Uh, and there's UtilityWise, which is a slightly slightly bigger um, energy efficiency consultancy business. Because the APC is working with Morrison, I think. It is, said. yeah, yeah. So historically, the uh, the the contract with Morrison has been between five and ten million pounds a year for for APC. So they is, earn five million. Yes. So you yeah, can yeah. imagine what the savings they're generating yeah, from exactly. that contract yeah. are. And, it must be huge. And, and what and what the uh, what the spending probably is by by Morrison's on energy efficient uh, energy efficiency 
saving measures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I talked. I wrote a little piece in this one yeah. actually. Uh, thank Smith. you for let, thank you yeah. for letting me do that. Yeah. Uh, w H Smith, you. which is one of one of you know when I used to cover it, it's one of, one of my old favourites. You know, it's it's long been written off as a. As a dying business, it's in you know it's in the print trade business, you know, not the place to be. As as we know, actually we do all right, but uh, um, you know, long long been written off as uh, as you know uh, on the way out. But you know, despite the fact that yeah, people are buying fewer magazines and newspapers, they've managed to keep their profits ticking up. And I hadn't realised the extent to which energy savings were part of the cost saving mix, which allows them to do that. I mean, it's absolutely vast. They've saved pretty much five million pounds over a year in annual spend over the past uh, four or five years. I mean, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And again, yeah, as you say, it's lighting, heating, refrigeration, uh, just extraordinary. Mm. Um, so there you go. Mm. It's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. And, I, you know, I think it's an industry that's set to just simply get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, my house needs a few low-energy light bulbs. Yeah. Talking about dialight. which tells them had a profit warning today, so oh, right. not all one-way traffic. Don't get Foxton's to change your light bulb. Oh, I heard about that. What happened there? Well, uh, Foxton's got a little bit of hot water with one of their landlords where they put a little bit, allegedly, a markup on how much um, it would cost to fix the uh, the light fitting, I think. It wasn't quite a light a bulb. It light was installa- bulb, okay. installing a light fitting. Um, but they've got potentially a class um, class lawsuit coming their way. And how much does it cost to install uh, fix a light fitting with Foxton's, Ian? I think it was... It was that £600, pounds, pounds, wasn't it, that was... they added in VAT? And, uh... Well, I think it actually cost £400. That's what they charged the contractor. Oh, and they charged uh, and they charged the um, landlord 600 I was going to say, these new around L- those figures. New LED lights are expensive, but... Uh, not that expensive. Not that yeah. expensive. I mean, the, the, the tenant, or sorry, the landlord that they were representing was a lawyer. Yeah, that's... Oh, very, dear. Yeah, don't have lawyers as your tenants. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the size of the class action lawsuit is massive, isn't it? I mean, potentially massive. If, yeah, um, I'm not sure how that figure got calculated. Well, it's 40 million of, wasn't 42 it? 42 million pounds. Oh but you maybe take it with a pinch of salt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you've been watching Better Call Saul, though, you know that... Uh, maybe the law firm's putting a bit of a markup on absolutely. it themselves. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you for that, Alex. Uh, it is a fascinating feature. I really, you know, it really struck a chord with me. You know, as I said in my my editorial, I think you know this this extends to many many areas of life. Cars being mm. one of them. You know, fuel efficiency is big business there, and uh, only likes to get bigger. And you know, we look across the market, and you've got companies that are involved in high high tech insulation. Um, you know, improved uh, window technology with better better thermal properties. I mean, it's you know, it is a huge business, and uh, yeah, definitely worth a read. Thank you, thank you very much for that uh okay i mean um i mean i mentioned wh smith some other uh retail stories we like have uh, had some uh, very good news this week actually and you uh, you mentioned earlier halfords halfords um the writer of this story um harriet russell um said that cycling is becoming close to a national sport i don't know if you agree with that john cycling as a national sport in the uk I think I would agree that it is becoming a national sport i'm not sure it's something i celebrate <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean I watched watched. Uh, I mean this is true. I, I I was walking to work yesterday. Watched a cyclist plow into a pedestrian in central London, and that's not an unusual thing at the moment. I think uh, you know. Yeah, I really like the idea that people are getting on their bikes as a form of transport. But you know, I think it's. I think I think there's too many amateurs on the road, mate. Well, <laughs> you see this, the, the numbers on the road. Yeah, Sorry. the, the numbers on the road incredible at the moment. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 a it's good it's good to see, but you know, I, in London at least, we don't have the infrastructure for it. I think people are not 
uh, just getting on bikes without actually knowing what they're doing, um, which is uh, worrying because you know when you see someone get totaled by a bike, it's it's not nice. As it happens, the biker came off worse. But that's the uh, pedestrian, yeah, a, a movable object meeting an immovable force. It's uh, it's uh, the the one with the momentum tends to go flying. So uh, yeah, and a, and a potential new sale for Halfords as well. Then if that the bike uh, was damaged, absolutely. They also do repairs. They do do repairs. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, it is bikes that's been driving the recovery at Halfords. Yeah, yeah, and particularly premium bikes. So especially, you know, those people I was just saying, in, um, where I live in my land, the cycle superhighway is currently mm. tearing up the street at the moment. We have plenty more people um, taking uh, their bikes to the there's roads. A, and there's, yeah. a, there's a word for them, isn't there? Mammals. What's that? What's that? I Middle-aged men in lycra. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. So they're the mammals, everywhere. The mammals are doing health. Mammals are taking over. I play golf, and apparently golf is is uh, dying. Uh, golf clubs are in real trouble because of cycling. You finally get a tea time then. So I can. It's brilliant. <laughs> all the uh, all the old uh, all the geezers that would uh, otherwise have gone down the golf club have discovered that cycling is uh, is is where they should be. Thank you, Bradley Wiggins, and well done on the uh, the hour record. <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, Halfords, they're doing well. Had a bit of a toy time um, recently, but uh, on the way back, and, and we've got them on a buy, so uh, there you go. Good news. Well done, Cycling. And another good week for, um, it's a good week also for Pets at Home. Yeah, Pets and at I, Home. And I've got a theory, people are shopping discount for themselves, but I think they're going premium for their pets. So in terms of where they're spending those fun budgets, as you described in fun your budgets. editorial. <laughs> Speaking of someone who has three cats, I spend a lot of money at Pets at Home. So I'm a part of this. Do you actually, are they your cats or are they your partner's cats? Uh, well, joint, yeah, we got them together. We got them together, because yeah. we got two rabbits, but they're definitely not mine. Yeah, <laughs> reluctant owner of rabbits. And yeah, we... St- I- you won't be going down to the groom room at Pets at Home uh, with your rabbit. They, they, luckily, we've got two of them, so they groom each other, which is wonderful. <laughs> but uh, um, what, what we, we spend, I can't believe how expensive rabbits are. I can't believe it. And they just chew everything, rabbits, as well. They just they destroy do. everything. They do. So we, we we moved home and we had them. They actually live in. They live in the house at rabbits, you know, which is Dangerous. a little bit unusual. Um, but we'd, I'd built a nice area for them. But when I when we cleared them out as we were, we were moving, take it took them up to the, uh, the bunny boarding. It exists. They exist, and they're expensive. Um, they destroyed the skirting in this area. We had them. It was just oh god. But yeah, can't believe how expensive they are. And yeah, it's a lot of money spent in pets at home nail clipping vets fees but i mean it's a great model and and the way they're expanding it, i think is really clever i think they're um i think they're they're a good business we've liked them since the beginning yeah and they've got a really good loyalty scheme which is mentioned in harriet's piece here the vip club andy murray was on the latest cover because i actually received these emails sorry so andy murray was on the cover of the pets at home magazine with his dogs yeah, well his, his dog uh, person his wife is a dog painter isn't she Really? That's her, that's her job. Okay. She's yeah. uh, she's a painter of stars dogs. That's what she does. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so yeah, I mean it's support, it supports it supports your theory about going premium on the pet front because you know everyone needs a pet portrait, don't they? I'll know where to go now. <laughs> yes, I think she's quite expensive. Okay. But we pay well at the uh, investment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wedding present for Ian. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Too kind. Interestingly, okay. though, it looks like people are not quite spending quite so much on their gadgets and so forth. Uh, this morning, home retail had a pretty iffy trading statement. Oh, did it? I missed yeah. that one. Argos being the problem. What? Uh, and did they put it down to electricals then? or uh, just, the just flat sales at Argos and, and home base isn't doing terribly well either. So um, Yeah, but just, home, home base is just... 
but crap. Yeah, home <laughs> sorry, base. <laughs> sorry, home base. <laughs> home base is like like sales were up, but they're closing lots of stores. But Argos, which has been the turnaround story there, appears to have sort of hit a brick wall. Mm. Yeah, it was electronics, wasn't it? Mm. I think maybe it's, it's seasonal in terms of the the kind of electronics people buy. Apparently, it's all about high end TVs now. You know, so it just depends what bits of the electronics market that you're particularly involved in. Right. It's not that simple. Because obviously that was surprising because consumer spending is a it's real high at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I'm really rising strongly. So you'd imagine Argos as a bit of a bellwether would do really well. Uh, but yeah, obviously depends yeah. what you're selling. Everyone's spending it on bikes and bunnies. <laughs> bikes and bunnies. And cats. And cats. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, quite a serious discussion that ended up being not so serious. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, there's plenty more in the magazine this week. As I said, it's, it's a pretty fat issue for what is um, actually a pretty quiet time of year, generally, on the uh, on the company reporting front. But we've got a few pages of results. Algie's back, so we've got a stock screen this week. It's his, uh, his variation on Joel Greenblatt's magic formula, and it's proving a corker, actually. It's done uh, 61.4% cumulatively, uh, over two years, which is uh, much better than the FTSE All Share, which has done 15.6% over the same period. So that's a good one. On the subject of energy, Emma Powell has written the sector focus this week on the utilities, who have, are having a bit of a tough time, unsurprisingly, both because of wholesale uh, gas prices coming down, but also, I think, because you know the, the, these trends we're talking about are starting to filter through to them as well. Plenty in the personal finance section, which you will hear about uh, when they put their podcast together tomorrow. We've got David Stevenson's SIP portfolio updates. We've got James Norrington looking at smart beta which is an interesting trend in the passive uh, investment world and obviously we have uh, all the usual news companies uh, comments and uh, plenty plenty of other stuff which i can't possibly do do justice to in this very short summary here so anyway thank you very much for listening thank you again to everybody here in the studio and uh, i'll see you all again next week thank you very much